Thank you again for choosing to worship with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to start in Proverbs 5, but jump around a lot today, so you're going to want to have your Bible in front of you, because not all the verses are on the screen. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in a seat back around you. Please go ahead and take that. If you don't own a Bible, uh, keep that. That's our gift to you. We love giving Bibles away, so go ahead and keep that, take that. Um, and like I said, you're going to want to have the words in front of you this morning because we're going to do some jumping. So as you're turning there, I'd like to thank um, those who volunteered uh, yesterday for Retro on Roscoe. Uh, we had about 10 or 11 of us that served in a bunch of different places. We ran a gate. Um, I was in the kids area. That was a lot. Um, and so uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good day. Thank you for everybody who gave up part of your Saturday to volunteer and help out. Uh, we love Roscoe Village. This is the place God has Put us. This is the place geographically God has kept this church open for over 70 years. Um, here, the gospel to be preached. And so we love Roscoe Village because this is where God has us. And so we want to do whatever we can to serve our neighborhood and our neighbors. And so doing things like getting involved at Retro and Roscoe, Winterfest in December, things like this are a way for us to just tangibly uh, show what we believe, show our love of Christ and our hospitality to our neighbors. Um, even if it doesn't ever, even if it's, you know, you're working the gate at Retro, uh, you're not maybe throwing the gospel at everybody that walks in, but you're showing the love and hospitality of Christ, even in just the way that you're greeting and encouraging other people. Um, and so those kind of events, when we do things to, to serve our neighborhood, I really want you guys to really try and make an effort to be part of those things, because it's a great way for us to minister and love our neighbors. Um, and speaking of, so Retro is going to continue today. Um, it's right here at Retro. They shut off um, from Damon all the way down to, I think, Oakley is shut down on Roscoe. Um, so if you have time this afternoon or this evening, they're still looking for volunteers. Um, so if you want to give up a couple hours tonight, I know the, the evening session from, uh, from 5.30, the, the 5.30 to 9, that shift, uh, they could still use some volunteers. So if you're interested, um, see me after church and we'll get you signed up and ready to go. You get a sweet shirt. Um, if that isn't enticing enough, I don't know what is. Um, so uh, if you're interested, go ahead and, like I said, see me after church and we can get you signed up. Um, but again, thank you for everybody who did volunteer. Uh, so this morning we're going to continue. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs uh, throughout this summer. And so this morning we are going to talk about something that we all have, that we are all a part of, family. All of us have family. We all have moms and dads. Uh, regardless of how they have acted or behaved or stepped into that role, we all have them. Um, we are all children, uh, and so we are all part of a family in some form or fashion. And so because we are all part of families, uh, Proverbs speaks a lot to families and speaks a lot to the different roles within families, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, now, for some of us, uh, we're going to look at a lot of different ideas, a lot of different roles within a family this morning. And some of you might be in one camp, might be in two, uh, might be in a bunch, might not be in any. Um, but that's okay because some of us uh, want to be husbands and wives, but we aren't yet. Uh, some of us want to be parents, um, but aren't yet. But one day those things may happen. So we want you to be ready for those things. Just because you aren't a husband or wife yet doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going to ignore that part of the sermon because it's not for me. No, that can still apply to you. Um, just because you don't have kids now doesn't mean you won't have kids in the future. doesn't mean you won't be able to live into that role as um, a spiritual uh, father or mother or aunt or uncle to someone. So we want to learn these things. And on top of that, um, just because you're not married doesn't mean you can't speak truth into your married friends' lives. Right? doesn't mean you can't give help, give guidance, and say, hey, you know what, this is what Proverbs has to say about marriage. Now, let me preface that by saying, like, don't just... If you have married friends who are having issues or are talking to you, don't like just start giving them advice. 
Um, if they ask for it, do, you know, then feel free to step in and point them towards Scripture. Um, but like, don't just unsolicitedly start throwing out Proverbs at people. Okay? Um, so like I said, you might be in multiple categories that we talk about this morning. You might just be in one um, because we're all children and we're going to talk about children. Um, and so ultimately what I want us to do, where I want us to land this morning, is to see that as we pursue being wise in these different roles, the only way that can actually happen is through the power of Jesus Christ. The only way we can actually do these things well, do these things to the way that we're supposed to, to live into that abundant life that God has called us to, is through Jesus Christ. So that's kind of where we're going to land at the end of the day. Um, So I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in uh, to Proverbs. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity uh, to worship you, to gather together as your church, uh, to proclaim your goodness your holiness, your awesomeness. Lord, as we uh, celebrate you this morning, as we open up your word, you have truth for us, you have wisdom for us, you have instruction and things to challenge us and convict us and encourage us in this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that we are open to those things, that we, are, um, that we have come expecting to hear from you because uh, you've told us over and over again that if we come seeking after you, you will show up. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that we have ears and hearts ready to hear what you have for us. Lord, I pray that this morning is a day where we are, again, challenged and convicted and encouraged and find places where we can grow uh, in wisdom in the way that we interact with our families. And so, Lord, I pray as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with husbands um, as we look at families today. So Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. What the Bible is going to tell us over and over again throughout it is that, gentlemen, husbands, your wife is a blessing. She is a blessing and a gift from the Lord. Now think about that historically and contextually at that time. In the time Proverbs is written, women were not seen as a blessing. Your wife was not uh, anything more than another piece of property. It was something that, it wasn't really a relational thing. It was more of a, a, a transaction. So your marriage wasn't really as much about love. There was love, and we see it in the Old Testament. But in general, husbands were not to love your wife. That wasn't the command, really. That wasn't normal part of everyday life. But then we see Scripture. We see what God has to say. And God says, no, that's just not true. No, your wife is a blessing from me. She is a gift from me to you. And so you should cherish her and love her. And so a wife who loves the Lord and loves you is a blessing from God. And so I want to look at, I got, I got three pieces of wisdom for the husbands in the room um, as far as loving your wife and how to have wisdom in your relationship with your wife. So we're going to start in chapter 5 of Proverbs. Um, so skip down to verse 15. So I'm going to read a, a section and then we'll come back and talk about a couple of verses. So starting in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. 
The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So I want to come back. So the first piece of wisdom I have uh, that the Bible has for husbands is to, one, love your wife well. Love your wife well. So we see in verses 15 through 17, really what uh, Solomon is saying here is be a one-woman man. You were made, yes, we are made with sexual desires. We have sexual desires that's part of creation, that's not part of the fall, that's how we were made. But we are made to pursue those sexual desires and to place, to pursue them, to quench that thirst within your marriage. Not outside of it. Drink from your own cistern, drink from your own well, drink from your marriage. That is where you are to quench your sexual desire. He goes on in verses 18 and 19, and that's where I want to spend a bulk of time, 18 and 19. In 18 he says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice, delight in, be merry, celebrate the wife of your youth. Now youth is up for debate because in the Old Testament they lived to like 500. So like youth is flexible, okay? Um, so those of you who are married at a later age, that, that don't worry about the youth part. Let's focus on the rejoicing part, okay? This is what God intended One man, one woman, get married, stay married, enjoy it for a long time. Husbands, rejoice. That's an imperative. It's a command, which means you have a choice to make, gentlemen. Will you follow that imperative? Because you might not always feel like rejoicing in your wife. And it might not even have anything to do with her. It might just be work stress, life stress. But you've got to set that stuff aside and not let it hinder your responsibility to rejoice, to delight in, to celebrate your wife. Find reasons and ways to let her know that you love her. And with that, consider how you speak to her and how you speak about her when she's not around. This idea of the old ball and chain and my wife spends a whole lot on my credit cards, it's wrong. It's not rejoicing in her. It's not celebrating in her. It's not loving her. Do your friends and your family know that you enjoy your wife? Speaking well about her, never putting her down, never making her the butt of the joke, even if she never knows about it, even if your friends never say, you know, he always speaks well of you, even if nobody ever gets back to her, speak well of your wife when she's not around, because that's a way for you to love her and love her well, to rejoice in her. Verse 19, it says, Be intoxicated always in her love enraptured, captivated, exhilarated always. Again, this is a choice to choose to be these things, to choose basically, as it says, to be drunk on love of your wife. Intoxicated. Think about when, for those who have experienced being intoxicated in alcohol. Everybody's looking at me like, you liars. Okay, for someone who has sinned, I'll tell you, being intoxicated in alcohol, you think differently. You moved it. Even this word intoxicated in the Hebrew, it has to do with staggering about. You're not even walking the right way. It affects the way you talk, the way you think, the way you move. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, be intoxicated, intoxicated, be consumed by the love of your wife. That is the command here. To rejoice in her and be consumed by her. So number one, gentlemen, love your wife well. Love her with all that you have. Number two, don't play with fire. Skip over to chapter six. We're going to come back to six a bunch, so if you want to keep a finger there, that's a good idea. Go to chapter six, verse 27. 
It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Can you hold a flame next to your chest and not burn yourself? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And to think you can is foolish. To think getting a little attention, a little harmless flirting with somebody that isn't your wife, that won't do anything wrong, that's foolish. To think that looking at pornography occasionally in your mind from time to time won't affect anyone, it won't affect my marriage, it won't affect the way that I am with people, to think that is foolish. What Solomon says is these things are equivalent to striking a match and holding it next to yourself and expecting nothing bad to happen. But here's the reality, it doesn't just burn you. You don't just burn yourself, it burns your wife. It burns your family. It burns your friends. Look at what's happening in the news with the church out in the suburbs. Thousands of people have been negatively affected, have been burned, because someone thought they could play with fire and escape the flame. Pursuing these things, playing with fire, will always leave you burnt. It will only lead to destruction. And so if you currently are, if you are currently pursuing something outside of your own marriage, husbands, if you are continuously struggling and wrestling with a fight against pornography, get help. Bring it to light. Bring it to the elders so we can walk with you and see you grow and see your family thrive before something really horrible happens. You see that in verse 29. No one who touches her will go unpunished. If you play with fire, the end result is burnt. Everything gets destroyed. So husbands, if that's you, if you are in the midst of that, bring that to light and let's walk in the grace of Jesus Christ and let's walk towards reconciling and redeeming that before something bad happens. So number one, love your wife's well. Number two, don't play with fire. Number three, you've got to use your mouth. You've got to tell her about how great she is. Skip over to go to chapter 31 of Proverbs. It's the end of Proverbs. If you get to Ecclesiastes and somebody's talking about being really sad, you've gone too far. Chapter 31, verse 28. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Husbands, tell your wife that you love her. Use your mouth, use the words to tell her. Tell her what she does well. Tell her what she does excellent. Tell her the reasons you love her. Tell her the reasons that you are impressed by her. Use your mouth and actually say the words. Some of you guys might say, well, you know what? Words of affirmation is not her love language. Amen on knowing her love language. Good job, fellas. That doesn't matter if that's not her number one love language. Find whatever her thing is, if it's gift giving, if it's acts of servants, quality time, whatever her thing is, do that. Show her love in that way. But then also use your mouth and tell her, the ways that she is excellent. Tell her the ways that she is awesome and the reasons you love her. Affirm the gifts and talents that she has and she uses. Be intentional to know that you, be intentional to let her know that you value her. Think of the things that you love about her, the things that she is great at, and tell her those things. You might say, well, she knows. She knows how I feel about her. She knows that I love her. She knows that I think she's awesome. Okay, we know God loves us. We know that God is for us. And yet we come back to the scripture over and over again to be reminded of those things. So over and over again, we should be reminding our wives just how much we love them and how excellent they are. Husbands, love your wife well. 
don't play with fire and use your words to tell her about how great she is and how much you love her. So let's move on from husbands, let's move to wives. And since we're going to talk about wives and we're already in chapter 31, let's start there. Some of you with a church background, ladies, some of you with a church background, the fact that I said we're going to stick in Proverbs 31, I know makes some of you a little uncomfortable. There's some baggage that comes with some of this chapter. Um, from, chap- from verse 10 through the rest of 31, uh, this is a pretty famous passage. It's a chapter that describes the so-called excellent wife, the, wo- the wife of valor. It's been used in the church to tell women over and over, be like this woman. This is who you're trying to be, and if you fall short... You're wrong. This is who you're supposed to be. And what's happened over time is a lot of women have compared themselves and have heard sermons and heard talks about how this is the woman, she's the, she's the pinnacle, that's who you're going to, trying to be. And then when they're not making their own clothes and buying organic food and doing everything all the time and they see this woman doing it and they feel like they have failed, then they feel guilty and they feel like they have messed up and they have self-esteem issues. And that's what's happened with this passage. And so I want to address that briefly. Firstly, if you look at chapter 31, look at verse 1. It says, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. This is a guy speaking to other guys about this topic. Okay? This isn't even specifically addressed to women. The only actual imperative in chapter 31 is written to men. It's right at the very end. It's after the verses I read. It says, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It says, gentlemen, go to the gates. The city gates were where all the, all the things happened. It's where, the, um, it's where you went and bought stuff. It's where uh, courtrooms happened. It was basically the city hub of things. And it says, guys, go to the city gates. Go out in public and tell about how great your wife is. That's the only imperative in this chapter is for husbands to praise their wives publicly. This chapter is not written as directive imperatives to women. It wasn't written as directions. And in fact, historically, what's happened is this passage would be memorized by Hebrew men and recited to their wives, recited during, their, during the wedding ceremony or on the day of their wedding, recited as, uh, at times where they wanted to remind their wives how much they love them, to tell them, use their words like we just talked about. This verse, you would memorize this passage and recite it back as a way to praise your wife. It was the original Valentine's Day Facebook post for husbands. But somewhere over time, history took this and made it a list of tasks to compare women to. And that was never the intention. This is about celebrating the character and strength of a God, that a godly woman possesses. It's not about these specific tasks. It's about the character behind these things. And so you see in Proverbs 31 a woman who is trustworthy, a woman who is hardworking, a woman who is, has knowledge. Those things are to be commended and pursued regardless of who you are. We should all be trying to do of those things. And so what I want to do, I want to look at just a couple of these because there is some great, awesome things I want to pull from here. Um, and here's the verse I want to focus on. First off is Proverbs 31. Go to verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Why is she to be praised? Because she fears the Lord. She has a humble understanding of who she is in relation to who God is. And we know, if you've been here for this series, chapter 1, verse 7 said, the, begin, the, the, wisdom of God is, the beginning of the wisdom of God is the fear of the Lord. To pursue the wisdom of God is to have a fear of the Lord. A humble understanding of who we are in relation to who God is. So all the things listed out in this poem flow from the fact that this woman fears the Lord, has a healthy understanding, has a relationship with God. 
And so I want to look at just, as I said, one aspect from this passage. So go to verse, skip up to verse 11. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. I want to talk about being trustworthy, ladies, wives. Can your husband trust you? Can he trust that you aren't going to gossip or be sharing his struggles with the outside world? Your husband should be able to know that what he shares with you, what he is going through, what he is going, what's going on in his life will stay with you, unless the two of you have talked about it and it's okay to share, but that he can trust you with things. See, we talked about how the role of the husband in these different places were choices. In verse 12, we see the wife has a choice to do good or to do harm to her husband. Wives in the room, ladies in general, I might be pulling the curtain back on the guys, and so I apologize, fellas. We are very uh, insecure when it comes to you. We want you to be impressed with us. We want you to love us and see us and respect us. We want you to see us as these guys who you can trust in and you can depend on. And so, ladies, you have a great power over your husband in just the way that you speak to him or about him. You can do good or do harm with just using your words because we want you to love us. We want you to be impressed with us. We want you because we love you and because you are excellent. And all of the reasons we talked about, we want to impress you. And so the way that you speak to and about us can crush us or can build us up and do good. So ladies, are you trustworthy? Are you one that your husband can depend on? Skip over to chapter 12. I told you, we're flipping around a lot today. Go to chapter 12 of Proverbs. Verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Excellent. Virtuous. She is the crown of her husband. The crown is a symbol of honor and renown. A virtuous, God-loving wife. She makes all the difference for her husband. Wives, you have the ability to build up your husbands in a way to make him feel honored and respected. And more so than anyone else or anything else in his life, you have the ability to make him feel like a champion, like a king. Just in the way that you love, just in the way that you talk to him, talk about him. But at the same time, you have the ability to be like rottenness in the bones, to destroy him from the inside. You have a power and an influence over your husband, so don't take that lightly, wives. Be careful and use it to build him up and encourage him. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. This is actually a good segue verse to continue because we're going to talk about parenting in a minute. Wives, your involvement in your household, whether it's just you and your husband or you have kids, your involvement can make, again, all the difference in the world. I saw this in my own family growing up. My mom was the one who made sure everybody was on time. Even if that meant she had to lie to us and tell us we were supposed to be somewhere 45 minutes before we had to actually be there. She was going to get us there on time. The clocks in my house growing up were all set to different times. Like, you never knew what time it actually was in my house because she set stuff ahead and back and, like, was trying to play with me and my dad and my brother just to get us out of the house with pants on. She was the one that kept us focused. She was the one uh, who kept schedules. She was the one that made sure that we were doing our homework, that there was food to be bought. Now, I'm not saying my dad was passive because he was not a passive man. Um, he was actively, actively involved in all of that. It was a team effort for the two of them. But my mom was the one who really made sure the house was moving, that made sure the family was doing the things we were supposed to be doing. 
Again, wives, you have an influence over the way your husband sees himself and even functions. Be mindful of that. Let your relationship with the Lord be driving that in how you approach your husband. So let's move on and we'll go from husbands and wives to parents. And we have even a point for grandparents as well. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And then Proverbs 6, 20, I told you, Proverbs, we're going to come back to chapter 6 a bunch. Proverbs 6, 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. You hear over and over in Proverbs, Listen to your father, listen to your mother. Hear their teachings, respect, honor those things. That means husbands and wives, parents, have one unified voice. Be united. Be on the same team. Talk with one another. Work things out, whether it be discipline or just dealing with your kids and plans and schedules. The two of you need to be on the same page. You can't be just orbiting each other and hope that it's going to work out. You guys have to be one united voice. You cannot over-communicate with your spouse. It's impossible. Keep talking. Make sure that you guys are on the same page, especially when it comes to parenting. You guys need to know what the other one's doing. You need to have one collective voice so that when your kid comes and says, hey, can I go to the movies, and you say no, they don't go to dad, and then dad says yes. That's how it was in my house. My dad was a big softy. And so you need to have the same voice. If one of you says no, the other one says no. If one of you says yes, the other one says yes. Be on the same team. Be communicating. Be talking to one another. Second thing, second piece of wisdom for parents, be true to one another. Chapter 6, verse 32. It says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. I've said this already to the guys, but ladies, I want to include you as well. All the things that I said about tempting and playing with fire, that goes for you as well, wives. The best way to raise up your kids is for them to see that the two of you love each other. Love each other well. Be true to one another. Do not stray. Do not wander. Show your kids what love for one another looks like. In the way that you talk to one another, one another in the way that you treat one another, your kids are always watching. They are always paying attention, even, and they're always learning, even in just the way that you address one another. Be mindful of that. Love each other well, especially in front of your kids. Let them see you hold hands. Let them see you kiss. Let them know that you love each other. Because to stray away from your marriage covenant, you are not just affecting your spouse. You're affecting your children as well. And your, your decision could have generational effects. Because if you commit adultery and that breaks up your family, then your kids never really truly see what a true marriage is supposed to look like. So they go in and they have the same things. I have friends who have generationally seen grandparents and great-grandparents and their parents split up over and over again so then it's time for them to get married and they have no idea how to do it because they haven't had the right kind of model for it and so i'm so impressed my best friend he comes from a line of broken homes he gets to be the one that changes the generation he gets to be the one that says no we're going to do this a different way because of christ because of the gospel we're going to stay together we're going to show the world what true love looks like and so you can change that you can have that effect generationally the Bible is clear. The person lacks sense and destroys themselves when they pursue this. And they destroy the things around them. Parents, love your children well by loving each other well. If your marriage needs help, get help. 
Fight for your marriage, especially for the sake of your kids. Third point I want to give for parents, let's talk about discipline. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline. And then 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child, uh, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You are not doing your kids any favors by trying to be their buddy. It is your responsibility to direct and to guide and correct and discipline. The desire to be friends with them instead of actually helping them be, grow up is going to affect them being a functional adult. Because like I said, they need guidance. They need boundaries. And they want you to set them. Even when we rebel against and say, no, we don't, we do. So what is discipline in your house is different. Again, family to family, house to house, kid to kid even. That's why, again, communication is so important between mom and dad. The point is you need to be able to put up the fences to teach them where they can and cannot go. There will be time for you to have a more friendly relationship later on. My dad was the one who set discipline, you know, wait till your father gets home. That was a thing in my house. But over time, as I've grown up, my relationship with my dad, he's still going to always be my dad. But that relationship has gotten a little more friendly as I've gotten older. We've had more in common and we're able to spend time together almost as peers until he gives me that look and then I run away. You'll have time for that later, parents. But right now, as you're raising your kids, they don't need another buddy. They need you to help set the tone. They need you to help set the fences and give them somewhere to play safely. So again, this isn't, and when we talk about discipline, this isn't blind punishment. This is orderly. You talk to your kids about knowing, hey, this is what's happening. This is why discipline is happening. Here's the point of it. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Why? So that they will go in the way they are supposed to go. Discipline has to involve communication and instruction. Go to your room because I said so, because you're annoying me. That's not helpful. That's not discipline. That's punishment. Go to your room without any follow-up or plan. That's lazy parenting. Discipline is designed to help grow your child. Say, hey, this was wrong. We need to correct this. So make sure that when you're doing discipline, there's communication involved. And we want to be able to set boundaries for our kids. Before I get away from parents, I want to talk about grandparents. Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And Proverbs 10.7, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. For the grandparents in the room, for the grandparents listening, your role in the lives of your grandchildren is not just toys and trips and sugar. It can include those things, and it should. But you have more to give than that. It's not all just fun all the time. You hold great value to your grandchildren because you have seen and done so much. You have things to share. You are a blessing to them. They're going to hear things from you. They're going to hear truths. They're going to hear instruction, things from you that they're not going to hear from their parents, at least not until they're way older. Your influence is vital to your grandkids' development. Be in their lives. Communicate, teach, share. I'm not telling you to parent. I'm not telling you to question your kid's, you know, your kid's parenting style. But I'm saying you have things to share and bring to your grandchildren. So don't let it slip by. 
Take advantage of the time you have with them. Pour into them. Be intentional with them. So let's move on. So we've done husbands and wives. We've done parents. We've done grandparents. Let's talk about children. We are all children. Skip over to chapter 4 of Proverbs. Again, I'm going to read you a chunk and then we'll come back and talk about a couple of verses here. It says in verse 3, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Repeated in that. When you see things being repeated in the Bible, it means they're important. When they're repeated within close proximity of each other, it means it's really important. Repeated there, get wisdom. Again, we are all children, so this applies to every one of us. This is for all of us. Get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Many of us learn the hard way, but the majority of the time, our parents do know more than we do. And when you're younger, you want to rebel against that idea. And that's foolish. Because as you get older, you seek out their wisdom and their insight for your own understanding. I used to buck against what my parents had to say. Now, I go to them and I go to my in-laws for advice and insight, whether it's a home improvement job or just like how to get Benjamin to sleep for more than like two hours. I go to them for insight and wisdom because they've experienced a lot of this stuff. Beyond the practical stuff, though, this passage says in verse 7, get wisdom, get insight. We've said over and over, where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from a fear of the Lord, a healthy, humble understanding of who we are, created beings, that have sin and are helpless on our own. So who are we in relation to who God is? Eternal and perfect and all-powerful. The fear of the Lord is a healthy understanding of who we are in relation to who God is. So children, all of us here, pursue the wisdom of the Lord. That's the wisest, the best thing you can do. Go back one more time to chapter 6. Verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Now again, this assumes that your parents are raising you in a way towards the Lord. Not all of us grew up in Christian homes. Not all of us grew up with Christian families. I get that. Um, so whether you never had one, or you did, but you weren't really paying attention at the time, Lucky for you, God has given you his word. He's given you truth. He's given you his wisdom right here. It says, bind them on your heart. Tie them on your neck. Be actively engaged in scripture. This isn't a guilt thing. This is a life-giving thing. This is one of my hopes and one of the reasons I wanted to preach Proverbs because for us to see how vital scripture is to our lives. Even here in Chicago in 2018, this book still matters. The things in it still matter. Over and over, history and science and psychology keep on saying and coming up with these ideas that affirm what Scripture has always said. Science says, hey, don't work so hard. Take a rest. You have to let your brain sleep. You have to get so much sleep. 
Cool, the Bible thousands of years ago said, take a Sabbath, take a rest. I got you, God says. Over and over, life outside of Scripture comes back and affirms what Scripture has to say to us. This book matters. It is the living word of God himself. And when we value it the way we should, we're going to want to engage with it in a greater capacity. So don't see it as just this thing that sits in your car for once a week so you can pull it out on Sundays or you can drive around and when you park at Jewel, people see that maybe you're a Christian because you've got a Bible on you. Get in this word. It's got truth for you. It's got how to live in there, how to pursue the abundant life God has promised for us. This book matters. Now over and over, we can keep looking at wisdom points for all the different roles in families. But really what it comes down to, as I said at the top, we can't do these things outside of the gospel. Because the gospel frees us and encourages us even when we fail. We're not going to be perfect husbands or perfect wives, perfect parents, perfect grandparents, and most of us probably know, perfect children. That doesn't come, perfection doesn't come until we meet Jesus. But it doesn't mean we don't try to pursue a life living a life that gives glory and honor to God in this season. Whatever season he has called you in for right now, do so pursuing a life that gives glory and honor to him. The gospel frees us to pursue living into these roles he has called us to. It teaches husbands and wives what it means to submit and lay down your life for those you love. It shows parents what unconditional love can look like. It teaches us to pursue God, to pursue truth, and it allows us to live the best life possible. As Jesus said in John 10.10, I came to give them life and life abundant, life overflowing, life in excess. That's what the gospel offers. A different, better, greater life. One that frees us from saying, I have to try and earn everything. I have to try and earn my reputation. I have to try and earn God's favor. No, that's bought and paid for by the blood and the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be free to live. The gospel is freedom to pursue these things, knowing we aren't perfect, but knowing that when we screw up, when we fall short, when we actively choose sin instead of choosing God, there is grace to be had. There is forgiveness to be had. Through the faith and belief in Jesus' death on the cross, there is always forgiveness. There is always more grace. You cannot outsin God's grace. But the gospel, you see, the gospel is not just a salvation thing. Yes, it saves us from our sins. I say it all the time. We are saved from hell and saved to be a blessing to others. It affects our lives here and now. And when we choose daily to rediscover, re-remember our need for Christ, daily choose to let it set the tone for the way we live in relationship within our family, it brings into those relationships grace. We can show grace to our spouse because we have been shown grace by God. It brings in forgiveness and love and kindness and joy because we experience those things through Jesus. Because we experience these things through believing and knowing and encountering the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not that it's just a head knowledge, but it's our regular working life knowledge. We can do these things. Yes, you can be a spouse. You can be a parent without being a Christian, obviously. But true wisdom comes from knowing on an intimate, relational level God. And so we need that relationship to have an abundant marriage, an abundant family, to just have that abundant life in general. So if you're trying to do it without Christ, if you're trying to do it without belief in Christ, yeah, you can do it, but you're missing out on what God has for you. You're missing out on the abundance waiting for you. So I pray this morning that today, whatever season, whatever role you find yourself in now, 
or the one that God has for you in the future, that you're starting to see how the gospel can affect those places. For some of you, that means praying for forgiveness, repenting of where maybe you withheld the gospel from your life. You say, you know what, I'm not going to let it affect my marriage. I'm not going to bring it into the way I parent. I'm not going to bring it into these things. And maybe you even did that unintentionally. You didn't even think about it. But the gospel is not just for one section of your life. It is for all of you. God wants all of your life. And so maybe this morning you need to pray, repent of some of those things, ask God to show you how can I bring in this truth? How can I bring in this wisdom of Scripture into the way I am a spouse, I am a parent, I am a child, I am just living? And for those of you who are already doing it, already living into those things, amen. Praise God for that. Thank Him for that. Thank Him for the grace and love He has shown you. We need wisdom to be in family because relationships are hard. Relationships are tough things. Even with family, relationships can be tough. And so we need God's wisdom to pursue these things in a way that brings Him glory and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, God, for another opportunity to celebrate You, to learn from Your Word, Lord. Um, God, so many of us in this room fall into a bunch of these different categories. And... uh, Lord, we need you. We need you to teach us how to, how to be married, how to be parents, how to be grandparents, how to just be. We need you, God, because uh, relationships are hard. Life is messy. We live in this broken world that has been marred by sin. And so, God, we need you to guide us. We need you to show us um, what it means to really glorify you in the way we do these things, the way we live into these roles that you have entrusted to us. God, help us to see our spouses as blessings, as a gift from you. Help us to see our children that way. Help us to love them well and point them toward you. Help us, God, in our relationship with our families to be that light that you have called us to be. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the new life and new identity that it holds for them, Lord, I pray that this morning is a day where they put down whatever things are, they're trying to hold up to say, this is what I want to stand on. And rather they see that their need for a Savior, their need for you, their need for some rest, for some grace, for some forgiveness, for some hope, and for some help. Lord, I pray that this morning that they would come to turn away from their sin and trust that you are in control and that you have an abundant life for them. A life waiting to glorify you with. Lord, help us to be the lights you have called us to be in this world. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.